Thank you, Cindy. Invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Last week we looked at the first few verses of this chapter, and Paul was talking about consider yourself dead to these things. And what Paul has done the first couple of chapters of Colossians is given a doctrinal basis, foundation, for what he's going to say the second two chapters, or the last two chapters of Colossians, because it becomes real practical. In fact, he kind of does that. Paul's mode of operation, most of his epistles is doctrinal foundation, practical application. So the title of the message is In the Name of Jesus. If you're an ambassador for a sovereign country or a sovereign king, you represent, you have the authority of that person, you represent them. And so when Paul says at the end of this chapter, or the end of this passage, that we're going to look at this morning, to do all things, whether word or deed. So what comes out of your mouth or what comes out of your life, everything should represent well Jesus. See, if you're a child of God, you're being conformed into his image. You're becoming more and more like Christ. This will scare some of you students. But a lot of times we grow up and look a lot like our parents and act a lot like our parents. I picked one of my children up from the nursery one time, and the nursery worker said, well, we can tell he's one of yours. And I thought about that for a minute. That may not be good. What did he do that led you to make that statement? So let's read Colossians chapter 3. It'll help if I open my Bible. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 through 17. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's that verse. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I just want to warn some of you. Some of you are good at lists, and so you see the list of things you're to put off and things you're to put on, and you're saying to yourself, okay, I got the list. I'll knock this out by noon. This list is impossible apart from Christ indwelling you. So the, the word is written, Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that has believers, has non-believers, but he gets real specific. The folks who are part of the church now that he's writing to are believers. They've come to faith in Christ, and he's talked to them in the previous verses leading up to this about being dead to your old self. And so he says the word, but now. So he says, this is part of your past. This is what your life used to involve, but you don't walk there anymore. Stay out of those places. That's not you. So now, what is you? You've put them all aside. In fact, later in the passage, it says, since you have done this, this is past action, you've put them aside. 
you've cast off. So the question is, are we keeping the stuff that we cast off? He says, here's some things that you cast off. Six things. Anger. Anger is something that kind of brews under the surface. It involves punishment. It involves settled feelings and attitudes. It it just kind of keeps smoldering, doesn't it? In fact, a lot of times anger just reveals that you're already an angry person. If you're one of those people that sit on your porch and say, Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. It may be that you got some anger issues. Maybe you could approach that a little differently. Maybe you could say, Hey, do y'all mind not walking through my tulips or my petunias or whatever? So we put aside anger. This is what at the cross, when we die together with Christ, that is part of our old life that has been put off. It's been removed. Anger. The second word he uses is wrath. Associated with anger, it's like that anger has just gotten to a boiling point. And it spills over. Violent passion. Wrath. It's just like that. It kindles. In fact, if you've ever experienced the wrath of somebody that was having a bad day, you may not have been the target of their anger. It's just you finally were the last straw. One more thing got added to the scale and they blew up. You ever burned a Christmas tree that's about a year old? I see that hand. We had a Christmas tree that was left over for, I don't know how it lasted a year in our yard, but it was at the corner of our property. And we had a fire going one winter morning, and I said, I'm going to throw that Christmas tree on here. The family's in the breakfast area having breakfast. I'm through eating, so I go out. I took the whole tree and threw it on the fire pit that was already fired up. It already had a flame to it. And, y'all, I promise you, they could have seen this from outer space. It's amazing how quick a Christmas tree will go up in smoke, especially one that's been drying out for a year, for crying out loud. My son Gabe was sitting at the table, and when he saw that happen, he said, I don't think that went the way he expected. I don't know how much hair got singed off my body, but that thing just, it it made a noise. And it just, I'm glad there wasn't anything above it. If there had been trees above it, they would have caught on fire too, because it went, I don't know how many, you know, like two stories into the atmosphere. That's wrath. That's anger that gets to a tipping point that finally spills over in violent passion, wrath. But we've put those things aside. We put aside malice, literally a general term for moral evil. We put aside slander. It's interesting, the word is actually the Greek word for blasphemy. When you speak evil or speak against God, it's blasphemy. When you speak against another person, it's slander. It's the act of defaming or speaking against someone. Anybody remember the thumper principle from Bambi? Remember what Thumper's mother said to him? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. So that's, that's abusive. That's slander. That's where we are saying things against people to demean their character, their reputation. We do that with God. It's called blasphemy, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. When we do it to one another, it's slander. Put aside abusive speech, literally foul-mouthed abuse. The intent here is to wound or harm. You are so mad at somebody, you're going to abuse them with your mouth. But then there's that rhyme that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Who wrote that? Words can hurt. There's sometimes you'd almost rather throw a stick at me than to say what you're saying about me. 
whether it's true or not. And that's, some people will use the excuse, well, it's true. Listen, just because something's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. So don't slander someone. Don't abuse them with your speech. In fact, he says, put away abusive speech from your mouth. Like he needed to clarify how this is coming out of us. It comes out of your mouth. In fact, Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus speaking said, The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. So Jesus is speaking to religious leaders who are worried about insignificant things, and Jesus is saying, listen, you ought to be worried about things that are coming out of your own mouth that reveal your heart. Don't lie to one another. That almost doesn't fit in this list, but literally it's saying stop lying to each other. So Paul is writing from a 1,000 miles away, probably from a Roman prison cell, back to a church at Colossae to say stop lying to one another. I don't know what they were lying about. But Paul uses that in his list, and it's a characteristic of the devil. Jesus speaking in John 8. I won't read the whole verse. It'll be on the screen. John 8. Speaking of the devil, he said, He's a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Listen to this. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, his own native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So Paul says, Stop lying to each other. Because why? You've laid aside the old self. That's not part of your life anymore. Those clothes stink. <laughs> in fact, I've got a cartoon for you. Anybody recognize this guy? What's his name? Pigpen from Charlie Brown. I remember reading this in comic strips, but I also remember some of the TV shows like, you know, the Halloween special or the Christmas special. Pigpen would walk up, and I'm sure Pigpen stunk to high heavens, but they treated him pretty good. They may have run away from him a little bit, but here's the picture I want you to get this morning. The old stuff that has been taken off are like dirty clothes that belongs to Pigpen because you were Pigpen. Before you came to Christ, your old manner of life was just like that. I mean, there's flies and stuff around this dude. He needs a bath. He needs new clothes. And I don't know what he's going to do with that pencil behind his ear. If somebody smelling like that offers you a pencil, you probably want to pass on that. So I want that to be the mental image when Paul says, That's, this is the old self. You've laid aside that with its evil practices. Who we were in the old self was evil. Everything we did was evil. The practice of our life was apart from God and contrary to the will of God. So what do we do with those old clothes? Listen, it's not that we now have two natures. It's that our nature has been recreated. That's what he's going to get to in a minute. But I don't want you to miss this point. I don't want you to be confused. It's not that there's the old self is still resident within our body. No, it's that we're still resident in the flesh. We still have flesh to deal with, and our flesh loves to pick up our old clothes and dangle them in front of us saying, you remember how happy you were when you wore this? <laughs> well, you weren't happy. You were dead. Now we've died and are alive in Christ, and so we've put aside the old self. Well, let's look at some better news. Let's look at the new self. The old self has been replaced, fully replaced. The day you came to Christ, he began a work in you that is replacing all the old self, and you're now the new self, having put on the new self. You don't put new clothes over, over dirty ones, do you? That would be crazy. If your mom says, get ready for school, and you're rushing around, and she said, well, you hadn't, you hadn't put your clothes on yet, and you're still wearing your pajamas. 
You don't put your clothes on over the pajamas. Now, be honest with me. How many have ever done that? Yeah. I've done that by accident. I put on a pair of shorts over the shorts I was wearing to bed. I went to the grocery store and said, why do these feel so bulky? Because you weren't paying attention when you got dressed. So we're not putting new clothes on over old ones. The old ones have been set apart. The new ones are being applied to our life. And he gets real specific. We have been renewed. You are increasingly taking on the image of the one who created you. And there's no distinction anymore. You've got to hear this. This is good news. Paul's writing from Rome back to Colossae. And he's writing to specific groups of people. First he says, there's no longer Greek and Hebrew or Greek and Jew. Listen, these two didn't get along, especially the Jews. To be a Jew meant you couldn't eat with a Gentile. You couldn't go into the house of a Gentile. You couldn't eat food that was prepared by a Gentile. In fact, the, the biggest act of, I guess, disdain that they would demonstrate is if you were a Jew, as soon as you got back to Israel, you'd stop at Israel once you crossed the state line, so to speak, and shake the dust off your clothes and shake the dust off your feet, saying, that's evil. We're now back in the Holy Land. So what's Paul talking about? Paul's saying, listen, in the church, there's going to be some of you who were raised Greek. There's going to be some of you that were raised Jewish. But it's all level. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. There's no distinction anymore between Greek and Jew. And the problem is there's two heresies in the Colossian church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with it. But we've looked at it in the first couple of chapters. There were some Jews that had become Christians but they were telling the non-Jews, well, you've got to become a Jew too, which meant you had to be circumcised. And that's the second thing Paul says. There's no longer any circumcision or uncircumcision. We're the same at the cross. You don't need to go back and be a part of a religious system anymore. You now have faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, Paul was a Jew among Jews. Paul had been circumcised. But Paul was saying, you don't have to be circumcised to be a follower of Christ. You don't have to be circumcised to worship with me. There's no barbarian. Literally, that just means a foreigner or a non-Greek. So Paul's writing to Jews and Greeks, but how about the people that weren't either? He's saying the, the foot of the cross is level with you too. And my favorite is the Scythians. These were feared people. These were, one Jewish historian said, they were little more than wild animals. And yet, they're coming to church. <laughs> what do you do about that? They're coming to faith in Christ. Are they going to have to sit in a special seat? No. There's no distinction anymore between Greek and Hebrew Jew. There's no distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no distinction between a foreigner who's a non-Greek or even the people we were afraid of when they come to church and slave or free man because Christ is all and in all. Listen, when a barbarian trusts Christ as his Lord and Savior or her Lord and Savior, they become part of the family of God. Not with a better seat at the table. Not with a worse seat at the table. So any division we create in the church is not of God. So Paul's saying, put on the new self with its new practices because Christ is all and in all. Third thought, here's what to put on. So, get to verse 12. Paul says, so. What's he referring to? He's referring to the fact you've put off the old self the new self is being applied to your life, is being put on. So this activity that he's about to mention is because that's happened. It's a settled fact. You're a new believer. You're new in faith. You're new in Christ. You're a new person, new man or woman in faith. So because of that, put on. 
And this is what's a process that's begun in your life. Listen, if you trusted Christ last week, last year, or ten years ago, there's a process that's been begun in your life. It's called sanctification. You should look more and more like Christ every day that goes by. So the first thing he says is put on a heart of compassion. I love the word for heart here. It's not the word you normally would use for heart. It's the Greek word cardia that we get cardiology from. But this is a word that literally means spleen or intestine or bowels. I don't think Paul knew anatomy real well. And so he's simply saying from the very depth of your being, who you are, not just on the outside, but from inside of you, put on compassion, literally mercy for other people. Put on compassion. It should spring up from the depths of your being. Put on kindness. Grace is so pervaded their life, they ought to treat people differently. So put on kindness. Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's, your, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. When I first heard that word early on, I was in ministry. And somebody quoted that verse, and I said, no, I think it's his wrath that leads us to repentance. And then I realized, no, it's in the Bible it's God's mercy that leads us to repentance. It's not a fear of God. It's the fact that God loves you and has shown kindness. Humility. Humiliation of mind and modesty that leads to the next two. Gentleness. The word literally means meek or mild. And some of you are saying, well, there's nothing about me that's gentle. We have a gentle cycle on our washing machine. I don't own one single thing that needs to be washed in the gentle cycle. But ladies have things that they want washed in a special mesh bag. They want you to use Woolite. Does that sound like that's going to help get anything out of your clothes? I want borax mule power detergent, man. I want something in my washing machine that is fighting for me. I want to see suds happening and war taking place to get stains out of my clothes. <laughs> so when you hear the word gentle, especially if you're a guy, there's nothing about me that's gentle. But the word general literally means, gentle literally means power under control. In fact, it is applied to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle. Didn't mean that he was a pushover. Didn't mean that he was wimpy at all. In fact, he walked everywhere he went and he was a carpenter. I imagine Jesus had incredible muscles. But when he says gentle, it means power under control. And that was not a virtue in Greek culture. I remember seeing a T-shirt in a clothing store for basketball. It had some basketball player on the front and it said, The meek may inherit the earth, but they will not get the ball. <laughs> So we've got to be gentle, power under control, with gentleness and patience. That's an attribute of God. He was patient, but it's also a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that we've already mentioned. So the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life is bringing about these things to flavor and pattern your life. Put on bearing with one another. It means you put up with things you dislike in other people because, hey, they're putting up with you. I don't know what it is about us, but we think everybody else is weird. I said, that, said this this week. If you think everybody else is weird, it's probably you. Bearing with one another means pressing up against. It means when somebody's about to fall down, we get along beside them and bear with them. We help hold them up. So that's one of the things we put on. And forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint. Forgiving. How do we forgive? We forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Don't raise your hand, but is there anybody in your life right now you're just thinking, I cannot forgive them? I had a brother growing up. 
still, still my brother. He's a lot nicer to me now than he was then. But he would do things to me that I would, I'd get so mad, I would think, I will never forgive you. When you're 90 years old and in a wheelchair, and I'm 85 years old on a walker and using a cane, I'm going to take that cane and beat you with it. I'm going to make a note to do that on my 85th birthday. And he's going to say, why are you doing that? I'm going to say, I don't remember. I just made a note. But you could be that way with people, not forgiving them. How do you know you've forgiven somebody? I asked somebody that question one time because I needed an answer. How do you know you're forgiven? Because you can say you forgive. One of our presidents, John F. Kennedy, said one time, forgive your enemies but never forget their names. Well, that's not the way God forgives. God forgives. He sends it away as far as the east is from the west. So when it says forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you, first thing you need to think about is, hello, he's forgiven me for everything. All my junk he has forgiven me for. He's cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. He remembers it no more. He never brings it back up. So if I'm going to forgive somebody else that way, the person I ask the question, how do you know you've forgiven somebody? When you can treat them as if it never happened, you've forgiven them. And tell them, pray that God would help you forgive that person so that you can treat them as if it never happened. So how do we forgive? We forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. That's the standard. And the last thing, beyond all. So in, in other words, overarching everything else, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In fact, I would say if you do the eighth one, the other ones become easy to do. If you allow the belt that girds up all the other things that you've put on to be love, if you genuinely love someone, you'll treat them differently. If you're struggling loving someone, ask God to help you love them. Here's one of my prayers. God, let me see them the way you do. Because there's some people that are hard to love. I'm not just talking about my brother here. I'm talking about just people. Some people are annoying. Some people get under your skin. Guess what? You get under people's skin too. You can be annoying as well. And so if I say, God, help me see them the way you do, what am I going to see from that? I'm going to see someone that God loved enough to die for on the cross just like me. So I'm forgiving as God is forgiving. And listen, trying to do this list without love becomes legalism. And there's some people that just love lists. So you're making a list this morning. And I've already warned you, but I'm going to warn you again. If you walk out here and say, okay, tomorrow I am just going to gut it out, it won't happen. You may make it through half the day, but I promise you, the list is impossible apart from Christ living this life out through you. So last thing, it's all about Jesus. There's a couple of lets that he says here. In fact, the word is let peace of Christ rule. It literally means let rule the peace of Christ. So the first let is let rule. This word was a word, the rule was word used as an umpire. They actually had Olympic Games or something similar to the Olympic Games, even in the time of Paul, and they had umpires that decided the outcome of the contest. And so Paul's saying, let the umpire be in your life peace, the peace of Christ. You see, we were at war with God. You come to faith in Christ, you have peace with God, and that's a yay God moment. That's enough right there just to be thankful for. But it also allows us to have peace with other people. So let rule peace in your life, because in your hearts, because that is indeed how you are called in one body. Those who have peace with God, it's a little easier for them to live in unity with other people. And the other let is let dwell the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ inhabit your life. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen because you're at places like this, 
for your own retreat. You're in a worship service. It also happened when you read your Bible on your own. You do a daily devotion. There's so many apps now on your phone or on your iPad that help you systematically walk through the Word of God. So let that richly dwell within you. Let that be planted in your life and bear fruit and flourish. And if that's happening, you can do the second two things. Teach with all wisdom. Teach. I'm going to teach other people with all wisdom, not because it's coming from me, but because I've read the Word of God. So if I teach the Word of God, I'm teaching the wisdom of God. It's not my stuff. It's God's. So teach others and also admonish. What's the difference in teaching and admonishing? Admonishing is to warn. Teaching is to inform, to give knowledge. Admonishing is what you're doing is harmful, hurtful. It could cause you a lot of trouble. So Paul's saying in the church, listen, as you let the peace of Christ rule within you, as you let the word of God, the gospel message dwell, take up residence in your life and splash out of your being, you're going to teach people. You're even going to admonish them. Sometimes you're warning people without using any words. But sometimes words are required just to say, can I ask you a question? Why are you doing that? That's not going to help you grow closer to Christ. So admonish one another. And then with Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart so that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a minute, we're going to close our service with a song. It's probably not a hymn. Hymns were from the Old Testament, the, Psalm, the book of Psalms, and other places in the Old Testament are songs. Did you know most of the Psalms were intended to be sung? There's some called songs of ascent. When you're heading up the hill to Jerusalem, you can see it from miles away, and you start singing about where you're going. Songs, spiritual songs. They're, they're New Testament songs. So hymns. Psalms, hymns, psalms of the Old Testament, hymns of the New Testament, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. Listen, when you're truly worshiping God, it comes out of our heart of grace. In fact, the word thankfulness is the word for graciousness. Now, earlier we talked about blaspheming God. When you stand and sing a song that you're not meaning, you're taking God's name in vain. You're lifting up as meaning empty. So when we worship God here in a few minutes as we close in music, do it from your heart. Do it from the depths of your being. Do it out of gratitude for who God is and what God's done in your life. Paul encourages them. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that just pretty much the banner over everything he's teaching them? Everything you do in word or deed. So everything that proceeds from your mouth, are you able to do that in the name of Jesus? Does it represent Christ well? Not just what comes out of your mouth, but what comes out of your life. Open your life up and say, God, may it be that my words and my actions would represent Christ well. Because I'm his child. There should be a family resemblance. Do all in the name of Jesus and giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray together.